Well, good morning, everyone. A little smaller group today, but I know we have lots of our people who are away or in other places. Uh, we have a, our third, fourth, and fifth graders are away at Camp Glisten up near Dahlonega right now, be traveling home later today. And uh, our, some of our youngest members in the Cherub Choir are singing over in traditional today, and so many of their families are over there with them. But I welcome all of you that are here today. Some of you may possibly have noticed that I wasn't in here as worship got started this morning and may have been wondering what that was about. So um, today um, I was over in the other service uh, as we were commissioning uh, three new members for our cancer care ministry team. Um, Mike Jones and John and Michelle Long just finished their six-week training to become new cancer care ministers through our congregation. And through this ministry, they will be able to support and offer hope and care to patients and caregivers who are facing that journey uh, with cancer. And so if you or someone that you know is facing cancer and could benefit from someone to journey with you, um, or if you would be interested in being a part of this ministry, um, come see me. Let me know, and we'll figure out a way to make that happen. Um, and so now let, we'll turn to our text for today. Um, today we're starting with a new series uh, as we find some time to focus on God as creator. And we look at the creation in which we live. All of our readings will come from the Psalms over these four weeks of this season as we explore different aspects of God's creation. So today we consider the oceans and the seas as we read from Psalm 104. As we hear these words, let us consider both the power and the fragility of our seas. Let my whole being bless the Lord. Lord my God, how fantastic you are. You are clothed in glory and grandeur. You wear light like a robe. You open the skies like a curtain. You build your lofty house on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot going around on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messengers. You make fire and flame your ministers. You establish the earth on its foundation so that it will never, ever fall. You covered it with the watery deep like a piece of clothing. The waters were higher than the mountains. But at your rebuke, they ran away. They fled in fear at the sound of your thunder. They flowed over the mountains, streaming down the valleys to the place you established for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross, so they'll never again cover the earth. Lord, you have done so many things, you made them all so wisely. The earth is full of your creations, and then there's the sea, wide and deep with its countless creatures, living things both small and large. There go the ships on it, and Leviathan, which you made, plays in it. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a season of creation and celebrating this creation that God has placed us in, this beauty that God surrounds us with. Now, some of you may be more familiar with some of the traditional seasons of the church year. We know a little something about Advent and Lent. Seasons that help us to prepare for the celebrations of Christmas and of Easter. 
And of course, Christmas and Easter exist as seasons within our church year, extending beyond the single-day celebrations that our culture often tells us that they are. And then we can't forget ordinary time as it covers the bulk of our calendar year. It's a season split in two that, that covers time in both the late winter and early spring, as well as the summer and the fall. Technically, it's just one big broken-up season, though sometimes we like to call it the season of Epiphany and the season of Pentecost as a way of trying to give it some other name. So as a little bit of trivia, I'm going to ask you a trivia question. Does anyone know why it's called Ordinary Time? Come on, don't be shy. No one? All right. Well, as it turns out, the word ordinary originally meant ordered or numbered. So the season of ordinary time is called that just because the seasons are numbered, kind of like ordinal numbers. So they're just counted off. Ironically, our current understanding of ordinary as commonplace or uninteresting actually grows out of people's uh, understanding of ordinary time in the church. Um, But I digress just a little bit. So you may have noticed that the season of creation was not one that I named as a part of that. It's not one of the traditional seasons of the church year because it's a relatively recent optional offering that churches have begun to add. In the calendar of the saints, the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi falls on October 4th each year. Now among other things, uh, St. Francis is the patron saint of animals and of ecology. Due to his love for animals and nature, his feast day has been a time when churches often will do a blessing of the animals or remember or raise up our care for creation. In the Eastern Christian tradition, in the Orthodox Church, the church year begins on September 1st each year, and it starts with a commemoration of God's creation of the earth. During the heightened awareness of our need to care for the environment in the late 80s, The Eastern Church, the the patriarch, declared September 1st to also be a day of prayer for the environment in the Eastern Church. And then in 2008, the World Council of Churches began to encourage denominations to celebrate the entire time from September 1st through October 4th as a time for creation. During the season, we focus on God as creator and on this wonderful world that God has built around us and made us a part of. We also consider our place in this world and our call to be stewards of all that God has created. We open this season with a celebration of the oceans and the seas. Over 70% of the earth is covered in water, most of that in the oceans and seas. When we stand on the beach, we are aware of the ocean as a presence. We can't escape it. We hear it. We feel it. We smell it. We taste it. We sense the power of the water. The sheer immensity of the ocean is difficult for us to comprehend at times. Now, some of us have driven, say, you know, across the state, across the country, maybe, maybe traveled to other places. So we get some sense of how vast our land can be how far it can be. We judge it by the number of hours or days 
that it takes us to cross it. And then we realize that the seas are greater still. And it's hard for us to understand. Or we think about, you know, facts. We like facts. Think about the fact that that there are places in the ocean that are many miles deep. The deepest point of the Pacific Ocean is even deeper than most commercial airliners cruise at. Seven miles deep. And it's hard for us to understand that, to picture that much water. Of course, the people in ancient times, they had no concept of how deep the oceans really were, or or airplanes for that matter. But they knew how small and insignificant that they felt standing on the shore of the sea. They could stand up on a hill and look out over the waters and not see the other side of it. They could see the ship that they know is bigger than a house that looks like a tiny speck far out on the waters, easily swallowed up by the waters that surround it. This is why for many of those early people, the waters of the oceans and the seas were seen as sort of the primordial chaos that was tamed by God to create the world as we know it now. Before anything existed, there was nothing but chaos. We see this in the opening lines of Genesis. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. The psalm that we read today draws on this creation story at the beginning of Genesis. We read about the wind of God, about God establishing the earth, the designation of the place for the waters and God filling the earth with creatures. If we look back to Genesis, we see this story that's summarized in the psalm that's fleshed out a bit more. On the on the, first, um, on the second day of creation, God splits the waters to create the oceans and the skies. On the third day of creation, God takes further control of that primordial chaos and designates a particular place for the waters so that the land can rise up. On the fifth day of creation, God filled the waters with all manner of creatures that swim from the smallest to the largest. As God calls forth the creatures of the sea, the story of creation in Genesis even makes reference to the great sea monsters that live in the seas. And we see this reflected again in the psalm we read today as it ends with a mention of Leviathan. And the various descriptions of Leviathan in the Old Testament, we find that that name can mean lots of different things. There's no single description for Leviathan. In some places, there are ways that Leviathan sounds like it might resemble a very, very large saltwater crocodile that once existed in the Nile region. It was two to three times larger than the crocodiles we know today. In other places, Leviathan sounds like a sea serpent or like a dragon. In other places, Leviathan sounds like a whale or a large fish. Seems like maybe that 
This was a word that was used to describe any large sea creature that dwarfed humans and made us realize at times how small and insignificant we can be. The mighty Leviathan, a creature that God has made that is described as playful at times or as destructive. As we approach our oceans today, we still have a sense of this playful and also destructive nature of the waters. We walk along the sands of the beach, enjoying the feeling of it under our feet. We build sand castles, we play games in the sand, maybe a little volleyball or some soccer. And yet the very sand itself can be a sign of that destructive nature of the water when we consider that the sand is made up of rock and of shells that have been ground down over eons until they're so tiny that you can't tell what they are without a microscope. We see the destruction caused by particularly high tides in areas that are close to the waters when they flood. We see the effects of storms or undersea earthquakes as they cause the seas to rise up and cover land that was once dry. It is this chaotic nature of the oceans that caused our ancestors to stand in awe before the seas. Oceans that can provide us with food or a means of travel. Oceans that can provide us with enjoyment. Oceans that can rise up and overwhelm us and the things that we have created. Oceans that can have waves taller than the tallest ships. The seas represent life and destruction in chaotic balance. It's impossible for us to tame the oceans. We can't do it. We, we've tried. We've tried. We may hold it back for a time, but the water always finds a way, and this was especially true in earlier times. But in the face of this chaos, God calls forth life and order. It is God that tames the waters. It is God that sets the boundaries of the deep. God is more powerful than the chaos. God is stronger than the power of the ocean. As we see in the psalm, this is the very foundation of our faith. God is stronger than the strongest things we can comprehend in the world around us. God is mightier than the greatest creature. God is able to tame the very chaos, the most chaotic aspects of this world. Without God, how is it that the seas have not just completely taken over the land? We know from the story of Noah that God once allowed the waters to rise up and reclaim the earth. As our psalm today notes, God covered the earth with the watery deep like a piece of clothing, the waters higher than the mountains. But God forced the waters to flow back down the mountains to the place that had been established for them. 
And then, as we know from the story of Noah, a rainbow was placed in the heavens as a sign of God's promise to never again destroy the earth with the waters. Today, we know that not only are the oceans and the seas powerful, but the system of life that lives within them is also fragile. Overfishing and rising sea temperatures affect the entire ecosystem. Food sources disappear and die off. We have the algae blooms, such as closed many beaches along the Gulf this year. Because all the waters of the world are connected, our seas are full of trash and chemicals and microplastics and drug residue. Smaller organisms die off as ocean temperatures rise. Larger creatures become trapped in our fishing nets and in our trash. Or they mistake our trash for the food that they normally eat. God's creation is a work of art. Yet sometimes it feels as if we've walked into the Louvre with a can of spray paint. But it doesn't have to be that way. One of the ways in which we honor God is in caring for that creation that God has surrounded us with. God has surrounded us with such beauty and wonder and placed us here as stewards of that creation. What are those ways that we honor God? What are the ways that we honor God through this creation? I think back to my youth when there was a resurgence of concern for the environment. The depletion of the ozone layer was like a huge thing as I was growing up. And then, of course, we had cartoons. I know I'm dating myself. Captain Planet and the Planeteers. Of course, I realize some of you weren't born yet, so I just feel old now. Um, <laughs> through entertainment, this cartoon sought a way to encourage us to care for the world around us, to protect it from destructive policies and practices. Of course, this wasn't out of any sort of religious ideal. This was simply out of a recognition that, hey, this is the planet we live on. Maybe we should take care of it. It's not as easy to just pick another one once we're done with this one. For some people, that's certainly enough of a reason. But for those of us that see the world as God's creation, for those of us that see this beauty that God has created for us, we have even more of a reason to care for this earth. And so we seek ways to honor God as we care for this world that God has created for us. We can name the beauty of this world in our times of worship together. We can pray for this creation that God has placed us in. We can support policies that protect this environment and all those who live in it. 
And we can adopt personal practices that diminish our contribution to the destruction that's being caused. There are all kinds of ways that we can work to protect this creation that God has given us. As we continue through this season that we, in which we intentionally honor God for creating this earth and all the creatures that are in it, we will be challenged to think about our place in this world. We all live on this earth together. What harms this world will ultimately harm each of us. Not only that, but as Christians, we are called to honor this world because it is God's creation. And so we each have a role to play in protection of this world. Protection from our own destructive habits and protection from the destruction caused by others. And so as one small step today, I want want to encourage you to go out this afternoon and find a body of water. Go find a pond, a stream, a river, a lake. Go find some water. All lakes and streams eventually lead to the sea. They're all connected. Go out and listen to the water. Listen for God's voice speaking to you through God's creation. Even today, with all our knowledge about how the world works, we can still stand in awe on the shores of the sea and wonder about God's power and majesty.